0: Open your Bible, if you will, to uh, Romans uh, chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And uh, I want to uh, briefly uh, talk to you one more time about the subject of unity, but this time specifically about the wisdom. Wisdom we need uh, to preserve unity. Um, let me let me pray, and then we'll uh, let me let me read God's word, and then we'll pray, and then we will uh, think about the wisdom required uh, to preserve unity. Romans chapter fourteen. Uh, let me read you the the whole chapter. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, there's a serious case that can be made that the whole book of Romans is trying to land here that the whole theme of Jew and Gentile through the whole book of Romans, which you'll notice if you go read through Romans this afternoon, is really aiming at the end of the day to teach Jew and Gentile how to welcome one another into the same fellowship, even though they have different convictions on secondary issues. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the servant of another. I'm sorry, pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, I ask You that You would allow us to open Your Word in such a way that our souls, are, that our souls burn within us, and Lord, that we gain the wisdom to walk through this confusing world. Lord, we beg You that You would do this and inform and enlighten our weakness. Lord, we pray that You would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we've been thinking about the topic of unity. And specifically, we've been thinking about the importance and the vitality of the unity, the warm-hearted love and unity of the local church. And we began by looking at Jesus' prayer for unity. He says that they may be one. So this is something on his heart, something that made it into his prayer life. He was a man, the God-man, who prayed that the church would be united. And he prayed that they'd be united so that the world would come to know him. So there's this massive evangelistic impact from the unity of the local church. Sometimes, uh, earlier in my ministry, people would ask me, is your church a pastoral church, or is it an evangelistic church? You know, Are you really focused on the saints, Or are you focused on the world? And I always wanted to say, yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, We we want to be focused on the saints for the sake of the world. We want to grow up the saints and guard their unity and let that unity shine into the world so that all men may come to know Him. So we, we looked at the fact that Jesus prays for unity. There's a purpose for unity. It's a global purpose that God has for unity. Then we looked at the character required for unity. Uh, If we can't control our temper, we can't get unity no matter how much we know what it takes. Uh, There there has to be this character formed by Christ uh, that would enable us to cultivate unity. And And then last night we looked at what it requires to guard our unity in holiness that our unity not simply become, hey, these are my friends, or these people are like me, or we've just gone to church for years. Uh, No church is above descending into being a culture club. There's no no church that is just immune from being a social club and just a cultural gathering. Uh, But one of the primary ways we guard against that happening is by the church disciplining those who are not interested in following the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the church is made up not of perfect people, but if people are really trying to follow Jesus and everything. Well, once you say all that, you actually create some problems for unity. Once you say everything I just said, you actually create problems for unity. So here's what happens people go, Yes, we should. Pray for unity. And we have to have character that is conformed to Christ. That's who we need to be. And we need to be people who are holy. And anyone who's not holy cannot be part of the people of God. And then they turn on each other, and wherever they see that someone's not like them, it's questionable whether that other person is really following Christ. And what's amazing is that the New Testament actually gives us categories... For understanding and accepting diversity in unity. The New Testament, this is the most, here's the shock value statement. The New Testament makes it clear that all truth is God's truth, but not all truth is of equal importance. You're like, whoa, how can you say that? Because the Bible says it. Right? Paul tells us that, it, that, that baptism is not as important as the Gospel in 1 Corinthians. Jesus says, you've tithed the milk and the dill and the cumin. This you ought to have done. But you ought not to have neglected the weightier issues of the law. Some things are more important than others. And of course, if you've just got a simple mind without wisdom, you're like, hey, if God said it, it's important, Right. Right. But what if God also came along and said, but there's a weight to my words. And not every word has equal weight. Yeah. One of the fun things about having new 21-year-old converts in the church is they have no sense of weight and proportion. Just everything's true. And why don't you care about truth? Well, I, I do care about truth. I really like that truth that says not all truth is of equal importance. That's what helps us and to guard unity and diversity. And this becomes... It's kind of good that the kids are in with us because if you want to talk about an area where churches can divide over secondary matters, oh, baby, their children will do it. Their children will do it. Some zealous mom gets on Facebook. And tells the world that her kids are going to public school. Because it is the mission field. And what is wrong with those insular homeschool moms? Next mom replying. Just, just so the world knows. Not directly in response to the other mother of course. Um, but how on earth. Could anybody who understands. That we're to walk in the way. And talk in the way. Send their children to the pagans for their education. And all of a sudden, here we are with two deeply committed Christians who are divided over what the Bible would definitely say is a secondary issue. You know all the verses in the Bible about public school, right? They're right beside all the verses about homeschooling. Uh, These issues come up uh, around food. One person is like, "I'm giving all my money to the mission field, so I only eat off the 99-cent menu at McDonald's." And the other person is like, "We only shop at Whole Paycheck. I mean Whole Foods, uh, because <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> we only shop at Whole Foods because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit." And I want to guard my body for a long, long time. One person says, John the Baptist never drank beer, and neither do I. <laughs> and the other person's going, Jesus made a baptismal tank worth of water into wine. <laughs> and it was apparently the best that he saved to last. And we're not talking about the carnal Christian. Who's getting drunk all the time getting a pass? We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about the the fact that Christians can come to legitimately different opinions on secondary and tertiary issues in the Word of God. I remember one family in our church arguing for the importance of letting your children sleep in your bed because of uh, the warmth the father shows in comparing himself to a nursing mother in uh, in the Scriptures. And then other people uh, will argue for uh, putting their children on a firm time schedule because the child is not the center of this home. God is the center of this home. So the child will conform to the clock, not the clock to the child. Well, what you what you got to notice here is in every illustration I've given the believers are always not trying to disobey the Word of God. They're actually always trying to obey the Word of God. They're taking the principles and what they see in the Bible, and they're trying to apply it to their own lives. And no one should be blamed for doing this, because the Bible does not spell out every single detail of our obedience. It gives us strong rails in which to place the train of our lives. But it doesn't speak to us about every single aspect of our lives. There we have to work out principles. And when we start working out principles, guess what? Different Christians from different backgrounds begin to work those principles out differently. And that's okay. And if you don't understand it's okay... You will never have unity as a church. My brother might be one of those guys who eats really healthy and his wife, you know, needs the bread and makes the homemade bread all the time and they're always uh, making everything whole, whole, wholesome and healthy. And for a while there, uh, he had a bumper sticker on his car that said, friends don't let friends eat junk. <laughs> and uh, and I, I asked him if I could use this illustration. He gave me his blessing and i just i just said well well actually after they've had a good conversation sometimes friends do let friends eat junk they 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 can enjoy and relish the fact that christians come to different convictions on much less important issues and romans 14 recognizes that this is no small issue if you misunderstand how to deal with the small issues it becomes a big issue if you don't have the wisdom to deal with those secondary and tertiary issues, then they become big issues that wind up dividing the people of God. And because of the advent of social media, you never actually even have a conversation with someone in order to get divided. You can just see their post and then not be quite as warm to them on Sunday morning. But I want you to notice in Romans chapter 14 the Apostle Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Welcome him. The primary command that we are given to deal with those who don't have the exact same convictions as us on secondary issues is that we are to welcome them. Your first impulse when you see a Facebook post about something that you don't agree with from someone you love is you should schedule having dinner with them. And the reason you schedule dinner with them is not so you can talk about the Facebook post. It's just to have them over. And talk about the other 99.9% of things you agree on in the Lord. Do you see that command there in the Scripture? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. You're, you're not to okay, well, I'll have them over. You missed it. You only read half the verse. Okay, well, I'll have them over. And we won't talk about that. Or if we do talk about that, it should be in that warm, friendly way in which... We, we, we just get to enjoy how God is working in our life. I had a beautiful example of this. Just, uh, God was so good to us. I got to go over for lunch the other day to the Kellys. Uh, they homeschool their kids. We used to homeschool our kids. Now all of our kids are in public school. I asked how all their kids were doing. Got to hear how it was happening. Just to see the great fruit of the way they're pouring into their children. It's glorious. They asked how all my kids are doing. They were delighted in hearing what God was doing in their life. That's exactly how it should be if we are going to talk about those areas where we haven't come to the same actions or convictions, then we ought to be able to celebrate the work of God that's happening in one another's lives, even though there are these differences. Now, I need to draw this out of the text a little bit more by explaining this term, weak in faith. It's very prone to misunderstanding. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Now, who is the one who is weak in faith. Well, the first thing you need to understand is that when you hear that term weak in faith, you need to remember that we often use the word faith two different ways. Subjectively and objectively. So we often talk about faith like, I believe. I believe. uh, I'm feeling uh, strong in my faith. I'm I'm believing with great strength. Or I'm feeling weak in my faith. I'm having a lot of doubts. We use the word faith subjectively. We also use it objectively. Like when Jude talks about the faith, once for all delivered for all the saints. Or when the writer of Hebrews uh, talks about Christ being the author and finisher of our faith. And so, faith can be my faith in God's truth, or faith can also just refer to God's truth. Do you see the difference there? And so, you need to understand here that when Paul talks about one being weak in faith, he's not talking about someone who's having doubts. He's not talking about... Peter walking on the water and then falling back into the sea because he took his eyes off the Lord. When Paul talks about someone who's weak in faith in Romans 14, he's talking about someone who hasn't understood all the implications of God's truth. He's talking about faith in that objective sense. And he's saying that they have a weak faith in that they do not fully understand what God has revealed. And so, let me just work this out for you. In in verse 2, we hear about this person of weak faith. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So the weakness is not, oh, I doubt whether God loves me. The weakness is in the area of conviction. It's likely that those who were eating meat were the Gentile believers. Uh, They had free range to eat whatever in their culture. Those who ate only vegetables were probably Jews who in order to avoid the idolatry of Rome only ate vegetables and not the meat sacrificed to idols. And he's telling them um, one person believes he may eat anything. That's strong faith. While the weak person eats only vegetables, that's weak faith. Let the one who who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now go down to verse 5. It says one person esteems one day is better than another. Again, that's probably the Jews. The Jews would have esteemed the Sabbath day as one day that's better than the other. And then while another esteems all days alike. Gentiles got saved. They're like, seven days? Great, let's worship the Lord. Each one, now here's here's where it gets important, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's what's important, beloved. The person who's strong in faith is fully convinced in their own mind. They're not doubting. The person who's weak in faith is fully convinced in their own mind. But they're wrong. But they're not wrong enough to make it worth talking about. That's what's going on. One has a strong faith and they fully understand God's revelation. One is weak in that they don't fully understand it. Verse 6, notice this again. The one who observes the day, that is the one who uh, practices one day as special above all else, probably the Jews. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So they're like, this day is holy and I mark it off as holy because I want to honor the Lord. Notice the rest of verse 6. The one who eats that is the one who eats meat, probably the Gentile, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you notice that in both cases the people are honoring God and they're seeking to give thanks to God? Do you notice that in the text? This is is the linchpin of everything I'm saying. Is that When we talk about each different person, they're doing it to honor God. Look at verse 14. Paul's faith. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. I know you can eat whatever meat you want. I know that. I lay it out for you in the Corinthian letters. I know that the worth is the Lord's and everything's good to eat. I know that truth. I, as an apostle, have fully worked out the implications of God's revelation. I have strong faith. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And so he's aware that even though he has fully understood God's revelation and that it means he can eat anything, there are people who haven't fully understood that. And since they haven't fully understood that, it would be wrong for them to eat what Paul eats Because it would be violating their conscience. So, the first thing you need to understand here is that we need to learn how to notice something different than the particulars of someone's conviction. What we tend to do is we just notice the particulars. We notice that when we walk into someone's home, they have a pile of those Christ-centered textbooks. And we either go good, or we go, bad. Or, we walk in and notice that they have those pagan infiltration textbooks. In, and we either go, good, or we go, bad. But rather than noticing the particulars, we ought to notice the heart behind the particulars, which is that this person is seeking to honor the Lord. That's what this person is doing. They haven't chosen the exact same path as I have to honor the Lord, but they have chosen the exact same heart attitude to do everything in their life to honor the Lord. So one preacher's wife said this, she said, young moms are really concerned with methods. Is it breast? Is it bottle?" Is it, is, it a, is it a sleeping schedule or is it child-centered? She says, older moms are really concerned with principles. Did the kid sleep and eat? <laughs> we want to be those who are really concerned with the main things. And not consumed with the secondary things as if they were primary. Which means that we need to hold an attitude. Even though we, we all have to come to convictions on when we're going to put our kid to bed and whether we're going to give them a penicillin or a smelling salt. Like We have to make these decisions all throughout our parenting. We, we have to make these decisions but we have to understand that these decisions lie so far beneath the foundation of our faith. Which is this. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for sinners like us. That He died a death to pay for our sins. That He rose from the dead to conquer the grave. And that He lives having given us the Holy Spirit so we can live lives honoring and thanking Him. That's the main thing about every believer. That's why... And the funny part is when you go to another culture, no one ever quibbles about these things. You don't travel to a tribe in Africa and walk into the huts and say, I can't believe they're not homeschooling. Or if you do, please don't go on a short-term mission trip again. We, we don't, we don't expect to go into other cultures and find the same debates that are in our culture. And yet we elevate the debates in our culture to as if they were essentials in the Christian faith. And it is absolutely deadly and detrimental. To our walk with God. And the reason I say we need wisdom in this, the reason I say you need wisdom in this, is because you can have people who say, Jesus prayed for unity. Yes! There's a purpose to unity. Yes! There is a holiness required in unity. Yes! You can have those very people, but they don't know how to let go of any of their convictions, and they feel that if they let go of any of their convictions, they'll be compromising. And you shouldn't ever be able to convince a Christian to compromise. What you need to understand is that welcoming someone and not to quarrel over opinions is not compromise, it's obedience. It's obedience to welcome someone who is weak in faith but not to quarrel over opinions. Well, I believe I have four minutes left. Is that right? We're done at ten. Is that correct? Have nine, nine. One preacher will give you five. Another nine. It's liberty. I want to just list off four really quick principles to think about. And I'll try to do it in four minutes. One, I already said it, welcome. Find the people you think you disagree with the most and have them over. Have them over. And have them over to sing a hymn and eat a meal and, and just praise the Lord. If it wouldn't violate your conscience and they really think it's important for you to, for you to eat all, all organic grain-fed beef, go to Whole Paycheck and buy one for them. And serve it. I mean this. This, is just, this. It's an act of love. And if they put something in front of you that wouldn't violate your conscience but just wouldn't be what you eat at home, make no big deal about it. Just eat it up. A Big Mac is good every now and then. (laughs) At least for the first 15 minutes. (laughs) The second thing I would remind you of is this. Notice these temptations. It says that we're tempted to judge and despise. This is no small issue. We're, We're actually tempted like this. We don't just tend to go, oh, they've come to a different conviction. Praise the Lord. We say compromisers, worldly. Here comes the downgrade. But the Bible actually tells us the Lord is able to make that person stand. Wow, isn't it amazing? There are people who have drunk beer who have gone to heaven. And people have graduated from public school and gone to heaven. Amazing. Amazing. And so the Lord is able to make people stand and because He's able to make people stand and because He's going to be their judge, we should never judge or despise the one of a different conviction than us. The third point, the third principle, just really quickly, is that you should keep some of your activities private. You should keep some of your activities private. Now, I need to be careful here the Bible says in Proverbs 18.1 that he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He busts out against all sound judgment. So there's a way in which we do our own thing because we don't want to tell anyone and don't want to be accountable to anyone. That's not what I'm speaking about. There are, it's also a time where we come to a very lawful conviction, a conviction which we are totally convinced is scriptural, which we know offends others, and the Lord would just have us not practice it in front of them. And not, not not cause an offense. And that's a very glorious thing. It's a and you don't need to get together with a few people and talk about how everyone who isn't with you is dumb. You just need to enjoy that in private, because the Lord would have us do that. And then finally, uh we should we should pray. We should pray for unity. Notice how Paul ends this uh section in Romans fifteen verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What an amazing thing. Paul is is not praying that everyone will come to the exact same convictions. Of course, we can hope for that over time. But more important than everyone coming to the same secondary and tertiary convictions is everyone welcoming one another and giving praise to God in harmony. Let's pray that that would even happen here.